Welcome to Your Pharmacy Career Podcast, proudly brought to you by Ravens Recruitment, Australia's leading specialist pharmacy recruitment agency. The podcast series has been created to shine a light on the diverse and inspiring careers of Australia's pharmacists. Each episode will focus on the varied career opportunities within the pharmacy industry by exploring the career paths taken by leaders in the fields of community pharmacy, hospital, industry, government and professional organisations. Careers never follow a defined path. Everyone's story is different and unique in their own way. The podcast series will help you discover the world of opportunities that exist and reveal pathways to achieve your dreams and aspirations. Whether you are a pharmacy student, early career pharmacist, or simply looking for a change at any stage of your career, the podcast series is designed to help you navigate ways into a career and a life that you love. Your host of the podcast series is Ali Sue. Ali, herself a pharmacist, is now the founder of Global Pharmacy Entrepreneurs and a passionate advocate for pharmacists to grow, innovate, excel, and make a lasting impact in the world. It's now over to our host, Ali Sue. Welcome to Your Pharmacy Career Podcast. This is Ali Sue. Hope you all had a great celebration at National NADOC Week this year. NADOC Week celebrations are held each July to celebrate the history, culture, achievements of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. In fact, this special week is not only celebrated in Indigenous communities, but by Australians from all walks of life. Last episode, we learned from PSA senior pharmacist Megan Tremlett, sharing her over 25 years of experience working as a pharmacist across the public and private hospital, community pharmacies, both in rural remote area and overseas as a consultancy project manager. Megan shared many insights into different projects PSA are involved in. She is passionate about creating job diversity and developing career pathways to optimize professional satisfaction and enable you to create a successful pharmacy career. If you haven't followed us on your podcast platform, make sure you do so. This is the last episode of the season. We will take a break for four weeks and we'll come back with a brand new season of valuable tips and hacks as well as learnings from amazing industry leaders and mentors. If you don't want to miss out, don't forget to subscribe. In this episode, we're lucky to hear from a pharmacist with over 50 years of experience. He is a media health commentator on many radio stations across Australia each week, as well as a regular House of Wellness TV guest, Seven Network, across Australia. Along with his long pharmacy career, he is also a master herbalist with a holistic perspective. His passion is to empower each of you to build a successful patient-centered career as well as maintain your own quality of life. Without further ado, let's welcome Jared Quigley. Welcome to the show, Jared. So this podcast is focusing on helping pharmacy students, early career pharmacists, to create a successful pharmacy career. I know you have been a pharmacist for a long time and you have a really successful career and we, we've seen you on media all the time. So, well, before we start, I'm really curious, what does a successful pharmacy career mean to you? It means that on reflection, you can actually get a lot of satisfaction from helping people 
and I have always relied and I seek feedback. So if I spend time with someone and I, I run a, a herbal practice where actually people have to pay to see me, which wouldn't that be wonderful in a pharmacy situation? And even inquiries I get by email, I seek feedback. I want to know and I want to demonstrate that what advice I give is genuine and can be trusted to the point where I'm inviting feedback, positive or negative. If it's negative, I've found, and there's been very little of that across my 52 years, usually it's because there's been a misunderstanding in instructions or perhaps things are being done the wrong way or not being done correctly. So they're very easy to fix. But to get written or oral thanks, to the point where I, I get blown away, people sometimes send me thank you cards, you know, to my clinic. I'm very humbled by that. And that's what pharmacy means to me. That's what any healthcare practitioner seeks to achieve, to be valued and to make a difference to the quality of life of people they get a privilege to actually engage with. Thanks, Jared. Well said. We have something in common. I'm studying Master of Chinese Medicine and will start my own clinic next year. I'm looking forward to support my patients both as a pharmacist as well as a Chinese medicine practitioner. So, Jared, I'm really curious, how long have you been a pharmacist for? I graduated in 1970. Oh, wow. Long time. So that was uh, back in the old days when Monash first took over the what was then the Victorian College of Pharmacy. I grew up in the bush and I did most of my training in the country. And I learned there, and in my view, and I, I've had back in those days had a fair bit to do with developing some of the initiatives that have still remained, particularly the trainee system. We ran a pilot study back in those days under the auspices of Monash, which was very exciting, and that's been developed and now is part of the whole standard training. But in the country, I learned that people have enormous respect for the local pharmacist. He's right up there on a pedestal with the local GP and the local veterinary surgeon, and that really was the the total of most healthcare practitioners in small country towns where, where I was brought up in. I've always thought that pharmacists could learn a lot in their younger days by heading to the bush and learning that you can get inquiries there, um, everything from elementary first aid things to being quite involved with a person's health. I sometimes wonder whether we've become so clinical and so physiological that we've forgotten our role as a team member in a person's health. And I remember having a very intense discussion over dinner one night with a representative of one of our esteemed bodies. And I remember saying to him, who's the, within in your suburb, what's the name of your local pharmacist? And he said, oh, well, I visit this brand and I visit that brand. And I said, with the greatest respect, my question was, what's the name of your local pharmacist? And he said, well, I've got no idea. And I said, well, what's the name of your, the bloke the, or the person that cut your hair? Oh, that was, then he rattled off some name. What's the name of the, of the, of the person that runs the, the garage where you get your car serviced? He rattled off the name. Mm. And I said, well, on that basis, you should know the name of your pharmacist. How else do you engage if you don't know their name and perhaps they may not know your name? So I think engagement's very, very important. And 
we go through our lives with, and certainly in the old days, for want of a better reason, a person who was on insulin, you took special care of. A person on warfarin, straight away you were aware of. Now, all of these things perhaps have been forgotten because there is so much dispensing done now. It's become so mechanical in many cases with interactions, certainly with herbal medications, so theoretical that we forget there's a real live person in front of us looking for guidance, looking for help, often totally confused about what is going on and what they've been told if they've just come from the GP or a specialist. And that's our role, to get involved there. Pity we don't get paid for that, but to get paid for something, you've got to earn the respect. And, and we've got still a long way to go to do that, in my view. How would you advise our pharmacy student, our listeners right now, the practical ways to do that? My, probably my fundamental advice is to be different. And you've already told me that you're going to be a pharmacist, but you're going to be other things as well. That's important to almost develop your own personality. When I get a chance to speak to young pharmacists, I particularly about complementary medicines, I advise them to develop their own prescribing personality. So you become competent in particular aspects of health, and we none of us are experts in everything. And that perhaps is we've become so specialised. And I'll give you an example. I read the other day that there are more than 5,000 non-GP specialists compared to GPs. So in GP land, that's a diminishing profession. What an opportunity for us to get in and fill that engagement role to perhaps reassure people that we can play a very important role. So going back, I think to be somewhere different, I remember speaking to trainees, as they were in those days, at Monash, it was an early training event, and a young fellow came up to me afterwards and asked me about complementary medicines, and and he was um, of Indian descent, and I said to him, you know, were you born here? No, she said, my family's still in India. And I said, well, as a person who's done a postgrad diploma in Ayurvedic herbology, what a magnificent opportunity here that you actually learn to be part of your culture, bring that with you, set your own benchmark and really make a difference, not just to your own communities here in Australia, but expose non-Indian people to the amazing qualities that Indian or Ayurvedic medicine and, bring, and it was almost as if a light bulb went off on his head and because he wondered, well, how do I do it? And I said, well, there's no hurry, but you need to plan and you need to understand the role. But by making yourself and bringing aspects of your professional life, and remember, university is only where the learning first starts. Pharmacists do think that once they've graduated, that's the end of learning. It just, that's the start. I make a point. In fact, I have a feisty Facebook page every day. I make a point of learning something each day that's a little bit different that I might be able to use from a patient care perspective. I've made that my little mantra as time goes by. So there's no one size fits all in any profession, but our profession gives us enormous opportunities to specialise without being silly about it, to specialise in so many different things. And I, I did I've put up a couple of times, but now given up, that just imagine if you had a pharmacy in your area who was a specialist diabetes pharmacy where the pharmacist and the staff 
really knew everything there was needed to know about diabetes. And there could be one in a postcode where you set yourself up. I think there are enormous opportunities for that. Uh, we've talked with Jeff Sussman and others over the years about wound care specialisation. So there are enormous opportunities if you grasp the challenge. In the first few years, life's pretty hectic because you're learning the ropes and often working incredibly hard. There's nothing wrong with that. But in all of this, you've got to look after yourself, which is the most important thing. But our primary focus has to be on recognising, as I said before, the privilege of being able to get involved in a person's health and wellness. I mean, we're all about, I, I still think we are in most cases illness managers. Mm. I think we've been dragged into that category. Whereas now we've got so much wellness opportunities, so many wellness opportunities, we need to recognize to get that we need a share of that, which means that you go into the area where I decided many, many years ago, and I'll give you a background as to how that started actually. My wife, it's a pharmacist, now retired, but in the first pharmacy we owned, which was in a suburb of Melbourne, a lovely community pharmacy, shopping strip, shopping um, strip, you know, just, the, just so many and so common these days, where we got to know as many people as possible. And I made a point of visiting every other practitioner in the area, GPs, anyone, podiatrists, anyone who had anything to do with health, I went and said hello to, left them some cards and, and I said, we're there. But I remember saying to my wife very early in the piece, we are seeing the same people with the same diseases every month when they come in for their prescriptions. There's been no change. And I said, I think it's time. So this is about 1973, 1974. I said, it's time that you and I can make a difference to this shopping strip where there were two other pharmacies at the time. We can make a difference by looking outside the square. So I said, I tell you what, it's very brave. We're newly married. I said, how about you run the dispensary? And we had pharmacists as well because it was busy dispensing. You run that part and I will spend my day front of counter and hardly ever coming up and um, inv invading your space. And we did that. It meant that I was often away learning from people that I respected but it repaid in spades and uh, I never regretted that decision. And it's something that I think is not all that difficult to do. You've just got to make the commitment and be firm and listen to, but in complementary medicines especially, you listen to the detractors, you listen to the people that are just saying there's no evidence about using this or using that. I think that's a cop-out and they need those people need to be called out, which I've done in the past, which sometimes you lose a few um, professional friends about, but that's the way it is. The focus is not on egos, it's on the person who you get the opportunity to engage with to make a difference to their life. In the old days, people were able to know who their pharmacist by name, but now we can't. What's the reason? Because it's because the chain of command has changed a lot. So you can have a regular GP but in a lot of instances, you might not be able to get to that regular GP. I played golf last weekend with a, a GP who's not far from retiring. And he said that he has people say to him, you can't retire. You cannot retire. We don't know how we'll get on without you. Now, the good, the good GPs are being pressured to stay on and they're burning out. So the important thing there 
It's that you you can't be in your business 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So you have to create little clones of yourself. So if you're a business owner, you want people to be thinking exactly the way you think. And if a decision has to be made of thinking, if he was here or she was here, what would he or she do? And as their employer or their mentor or whatever, whatever decisions made, you have to support. It may not be ideal, but you have to support that decision having been made. Maybe we don't give that opportunity early enough in business. Again, in the bush, I was very lucky. I was involved right from the start because in the country, you don't have the extra stuff. You've got to be on the shop floor. You've got to be able to get on with everybody. But again, that's just the way of the world. And we've got to get back to looking at the patient as a whole, not a disease that happens to be occupying that particular person. But here is the person with maybe a chronic disease. And, and I often say to people, think of your psoriasis, think of your diabetes, especially think of whatever as something that you keep in a shoebox. So it's not sitting on your shoulder. It's not with you all the time. It will try and get out of that shoebox and give you a bit of grief every now and again. But with these strategies and you list them out, you'll be able to push that back into the shoebox and get on with your life. That conversation can have quite profound impact on a person who is struggling, for instance, in chronic pain or struggling with blood sugar levels that through no fault of their own won't come back to uh, where they should be. There's lots of things that we miss because I think many of us are so focused on the disease, we forget there's a person. And how often do you hear, and I see them in my herbal practice, people come with a bag of medicines and a bag of supplements and they say, look, my, my blood tests are terrific according to my doctor, but I feel lousy, I feel dreadful, I've got no energy, I can't sleep. And the doctor says, well, not my problem, get on with it. Those opportunities, you can make a friend and a patient for life by looking at those aspects. I love what you said about a holistic way of viewing our clients or customers, see them as a whole person. Well, we spend three or four years, whatever, we spend learning disease states, physiology, pharmacology. You know, we used to be told we are medication managers. I reckon that's 10% of our job. I reckon 80% we're people managers. People we work with, people we come into contact with, the people who trust us to give advice to make a difference to their lives. However, is there a, some sort of uh, course in effective com patient communication that's not clinical? Not really. We can become far too clinical in my view and we miss the point. Then a lot of people just say, well, you're the same as them. You know, you're on their side. You're not listening to me. Is a chance. I have a question about you being a pharmacist as well as herbalist. First of all, is master herbalist more like a naturopath? Some of my friends tell me that just means I'm old. <laughs> Naturopathy is the umbrella modality. Mm. And within naturopathy as a modality, which is now a Bachelor of Health Science. So I taught for three years integrated pharmacology to third year students who were going from a diploma to a degree. So that's our Bachelor of Health Sciences. So within that umbrella, there are a number of sub-modalities of which Western herbal medicine, which is what I practice, there could be massage therapy, there could be homeopathy, 
there's a number of different modalities within there where student naturopaths who graduate can do them all as they often tend to do until they settle into one or other. So I did my studies with a fellow who's still regarded as the guru of herbal medicine in Australia. He lives in the Hunter Valley, his name's Dennis Stewart, uh, the most amazing uh, former electrical engineer, would you believe, who then became a world authority on herbal medicine. And his first class I attended, there were 20 of us in the class. There were two pharmacists, Des Lardner, who's a, a good friend of mine in Victoria, who's now pretty well retired. There were nurses, a couple of GPs, a vet, and a couple of naturopaths. And we would meet every one month weekend. It was at Blackmore's head office. And it was a post-grad diploma course in herbal medicine. And many of us are still involved. I'm, I still have a very close connection with a, a dietitian, Professor uh, Antigone Curis, who is at La Trobe University, who did that course with me. And uh, we, we, anytime he speaks, we jump at the opportunity to go and um, see him and uh, We'd study all day Saturday and then we'd take him out for dinner and then we'd be back again early on the Sunday. And it was a terrific opportunity, which many of us have actually upskilled from that. But I started, I do a lot of media work and I think this is a, it's an opportunity for pharmacists to strut their stuff. So if you are working in a suburb of the city or even in the country, a good place to start would be to write a column for the local paper. Mm. Local papers love information, and it doesn't have to be about a disease. It could be just about something simple. No, we're, it could be just small hints offering a contact at the bottom if someone wants to follow something up. Many local radio, many opportunities. And I often am asked for advice on how to get started there, and then usually that person falls back and says, well, then will you do it for us? Um, no, you have to own it. You have to develop it because it's all about you creating a relationship through whatever that medium is that you're going to do and away you go from there. But it's a pretty good place to start. I think I've always maintained that health is far too serious. Now, certainly, if you're dying, that's pretty serious stuff. But for most people, it's a very, their illness is very serious. Wellness is not. Wellness is happiness and contentment and having friends and enjoying life. But we don't do enough of that either. We really don't focus enough, in my view, on that. You can walk into your average pharmacy. You don't see many pharmacists smiling and having a bit of a chat with someone. They're very serious. If they're wearing glasses, they're pulled down over their nose, you know, so you can look very serious. We've got to back away from that because life's too serious particularly during lockdown at the moment. People are stressed, they're not sleeping, they're worried about the future, they're worried about uncertainty. And we've got to embrace that and brighten up their lives somehow, which is pretty tough because we're all in the same boat. But we're practitioners. We've got to, we've got to learn to do it. I totally agree. There's so many burnt out healthcare professionals, pharmacists, especially during last year pandemic or even now. How do you maintain your own health so you can be so energetic and still heal other people because we know we can only heal other people when we are healed when we are better in health yes that is so true and my wife constantly reminds me that there's only one of me and i only i only do things that i enjoy i get enormous enjoyment about what i do and every day is different which is great 
So how do I relax? I, um, I play golf. I walk. I'm lucky enough to live opposite the beach. So I walk. I swim when the bay warms up. I lawn bowl. I catch up. I have, um, on Friday nights, I'm given a marital leave pass to go dinner to go to dinner with men where we all enjoy our one another's company these are all people from all walks of life which i find very leveling and out of that i have um, wonderful connections i'm very fortunate to be able to manage my own time but still enjoy every aspect of what i do Yes, thank you for sharing that. While we are busy supporting our community, it is so important to take time for ourselves and take care of our own health and well-being and our relationships and enjoying every aspect of our own life. So thank you for the reminder. So my next question is about you being both a pharmacist as well as a herbalist. As early career pharmacists, we're giving evidence-based advice on medications but we don't know if there are enough evidence on herbs or vitamins. How do you operate being both? Very comfortably. <laughs> now you've got to remember that this is all about the mighty dollar. So any suggestion that something that's not drug-based can make a difference to a person's quality of life is anathema to a pharmacy, pharmaceutical company. Whether we like it or not, I don't know what the current percentage is, but say upwards of 72, 73% of Australians take some sort of complementary medicine. So they're putting things in their mouth every day. I have always thought that anything that goes into a person's mouth that may affect their health or wellness, we should know about. And there's a fundamental reason to get to learn about the stuff that people take. When you look up the Australian Medicines Handbook, which I have on my desk, alongside my, one of my herbal compendiums, and I have a, an array of references here on my right. When you look up paracetamol in the AMH, guess what it says? Mode of action is not understood. No evidence. I was fascinated last year when a Cochrane review study came out that the role of high-strength paracetamol and osteoarthritis is no better than placebo. Remember that? That hasn't stopped any advertising at all. Now, if that had have been, and sometimes it happens, a complementary medicine, it would have made front page news because media know where their dollar comes from. They have no hesitation, making all sorts of bland statements based on a herb purchased in Outback USA that made someone sick, and that's extrapolated straight away to this herb's dangerous. So if you find someone's asking you for, for instance, someone, I'll just get an example. Someone who's got um, liver issues, and the classic liver herb is milk thistle. It regenerates, and the, this is physiology as well as pharmacology, as well as herbal medicine. The evidence behind using that is amazing, and it's there. Now, when we can't probably, if someone comes in and asks for milk thistle or is taking milk thistle, you're a brave person that says, you're wasting your time and wasting your money taking that. That's insulting. I've, I have people tell me that their pharmacist often says that and that those people just don't go back. So that's insulting. A better, off, a better question would be, what do you find this does for you? And you'll often be surprised at the answer from an informed consumer who will often say, well, my liver enzyme function wasn't all that good. And to my doctor's absolute amazement, 
by taking me taking the milk thistle, which I found myself, by the way, my liver enzyme readings are far better and my fatty liver has settled. Now, a thinking pharmacist, pharmacist in my view, would say, wow, isn't that interesting? Maybe I should go to my Braun and Cohen reference book that every pharmacy's got to have and look up and see what else's milk thistle does. They don't. It doesn't seem to make an impression. That disappoints me enormously. But if you think that obviously, and you hear this, use a balanced diet, you don't need anything. I've never met a person on a balanced diet, by the way. The Australian Institute of Health and Welfare, year before last, did their own survey of dietary patterns in Australia. 92% of Australians do not eat the recommended intake of fruits and vegetables each day. Now, if ever there's a reason for a multivitamin to be considered, there it is. Nine out of 10 of us do not get the recommended intakes of fruits and vegetables, which aren't all that high. So it all adds, in my view, it adds more weight to helping a person understand that they can take control of their health if they wish. And can I throw something else at you, which is rather rather confronting? But I, I spoke at an APP conference a long, long, long time ago, and I haven't been asked back. And I had to give a talk on diabetes. I had, at that stage, I went to 20 of my diabetes patients who come and see me, and I had 10 questions. And one of the questions was, what role does your pharmacist play in your diabetes other than supply? 100% answer, none, no other role. Isn't that frightening? No talk on foot care, no talk on food options, perhaps involving a dietitian, no discussions on skin health, eye health, weight management generally. I found that, no, I actually gave those stats out. I don't think they went down all that well to the people that were listening. But these were people that weren't making it up. We've got a lot to learn. We can make a big difference to a lot of people and we can do it ethically and responsibly. And if we want to back up any evidence, there is a book in every, ph every pharmacist should have the Braun and Cohen, which I find, I, I refer to it often amongst many others I've got. But that gives so many references on claims that you can't jump over. And that's only scratching the surface. So. I dismiss the there is no evidence as an absolute cop-out. And I think it's reprehensible for any pharmacist to say that. That's pretty strong, isn't it? Well, I think I understand what they're coming from as we don't have enough exposure for ourselves. So we haven't really studied or, you know, learned much, you know, other than what we learned at pharmacy school. But when you come out of pharmacy school, you haven't studied every drug, have you? Mm, no. Exactly right. So you're exposed to new drugs all the time. Now, every time you got a prescription for a new drug, and aren't they coming out at a great rate of knots? And you said to the person, hang on, I, I want to check the evidence on this. It wouldn't last very long, would you? But we don't. We accept that the person giving, prescribing that in that case, or recommending something in a pharmacist case, or informed pharmacy staff for that matter, is doing so in good faith, not just to make a sale, which is sometimes the impression that's given, but to make a difference to a person's quality of life. And if you are informed and trusted and engaging, that comes through. 
that if you pick up a bottle and read the back of the label and say, look, I think that'll be okay, you're not doing yourself any professional enhancing at all. You may decide, as an introduction, you may decide to focus on a disease state. You know, a simple one might be psoriasis. What's involved? Well, I see people who never wear shorts and never wear long sleeves because they're embarrassed about their psoriasis. And yet, when they are given encouragement to look at omega-3 oils, and especially, and magnesium, and other things that make a difference, to just reduce the inflammatory outbreaks, their whole world changes. Now, the evidence, the best evidence, is the person who comes back and says, thank you. I have, you gave me an option and an expectation that I felt was realistic, and what you said would happen has happened. There is no greater, that's, that's the evidence that I rely on, and I think it's a handy lesson to know. Mm. That's real live evidence. That's nothing in a book with some sort of double-blind clinical trial. That's a real live human being, not an animal, a real live human being who is trusting you to help them. It's so simple, we overlook it. I think a lot of times also the concern of unknown interactions, that we can't find it anywhere, therefore we're less likely willing to recommend. I mentioned before a prescribing personality. I must be missing things, but in my well, 52 years, probably 40 years of those embracing herbal medicines, I've seen one potentially serious issue with garlic and a fellow who was taking warfarin. So that was, we only had warfarin back in those days. Mm. And he couldn't work out when he went to his GPs, warfarin levels were all over the place. And I said to him one day, do you see the GP at the same time? He said, yeah, I, I go along every week. And I said, what else do you do that day? Well, he said, I go and have lunch with my mates and we, we go to a place where garlic prawns are on special. So I reek of garlic. And it appeared that his huge intake of garlic was actually interfering with his INRs. Mm. The problem was solved. But we have these days, and so generally pharmacists would say, okay, garlic and anticoagulants are, are a bit of a no-no. But in fact, there is an extract of garlic, which is aged garlic extract, and there's one particular company that's based in Japan who have that. And they have evidence that you can't jump over, showing there's no interaction, because it, the garlic is a particular extract. It forms a different type of extract because it's stored in a solution for nine months, and it removes the part of the herb that potentially causes a problem. And that happens with other herbs as well. Some of those are explained in Braun and Cohen as well. Mm. I think interactions are a cop-out. They're an excuse not to get involved. Most of them, 99% of them are theoretical, so we don't need to be frightened. I had a wake-up call once from a young lady wandering around in our vitamin section of one of our pharmacies, and, and she said, I'm looking for St John's Wort. I said, oh, okay. And she told me the brand, and I picked it off the shelf. And there, are, I, I, I will only use one extract, one particular extract of St. John's Wort in my practice. But she picked it off, and I said, do you find, yes, you do. It's like, what do you find this does? She said, oh, look, it just helps me relax wonderfully. She said, my psychiatrist doesn't like it, though. And I said, oh, you know, you, you're saying, yeah, she said, he's got me on all sorts of medications, and, but he doesn't listen. So I just thought I'd do a bit of reading and I thought I'd, no, and you're the first person that's asked me about St. John's Wood. And I said, well, 
in theory, you shouldn't be taking the St. John's wort with the medications. And she said, well, I've been doing it for years. Feel fine. Feel better when I'm on it than when I'm not on it. That directly contravenes everything we are told. But the patient took things into her own hands because she felt she was feeling better. So you've, you can be, a, and, and I encouraged her to discuss it again with her psychiatrist and she promised she would and she did and she eventually stopped taking it. Me, but in the meantime, rather than give her a lecture, and I'm sure in many places she would have been given a lecture, we just worked it out, encouraged her to go back and have a bit of a chat. And there's, I think there's a lot of instances, Ali, where people are doing that. Can we talk about briefly coenzyme Q10? Yeah, yeah. You know, that doctor said cardiovascular health wasn't evidence-based. It has so much evidence. I recently did a, there's an organisation called Nutri Ingredients, and they run webinars around the world. And I was privileged to deliver a webinar on ubiquinol, which is the ready-to-use form of, of ubiquinone or coenzyme Q10. The evidence is remarkable for things like not just cardiovascular health, it lowers LDL, it helps sleep quality, it helps gum health, and that because there's gum health, heart health connection, it helps vitality in overworked people. And they, there's, there's all these clinical trials that have happened for stress and for stamina, all there. Its role in cardiovascular health is fundamental, particularly when a person is using a statin. There are quotes from a researcher in Germany that is a, a clinician as well who was giving, I think, 150 milligram of ubiquinol and he, within one week, 80% of his patients felt their, their muscular pain had disappeared. For anyone to assume that coenzyme Q10 in its synthetic form or its ready-to-use form doesn't play a role in cardio, they've got their head in the sand. That is one giant puzzle. And I remember taking a call on air from a GP who, who accused me of spreading falsehoods about coenzyme Q10 must have been 15, 20 years ago. I actually hung up on him, but, but it, it was so frustrating that he would not accept that the evidence was there. Mm. It's really people welcome an opportunity. In fact, I think it's incumbent on pharmacists. I've got two, two things in particular. From the number, and I get 150 emails a week, but the media work I do, people I've never seen in my life, who often will email, take the time to email, to which they get an individual response. I don't have a ghostwriter, I do it all. So as we're talking, these things are mounting up in that screen behind me here. They constantly are not given information about coenzyme Q10, which when it's given to them, they often say, why wasn't, I, it's worked, why wasn't I told? Now that doesn't help anybody. You don't have to sell something, you've just got to inform people. And another one of my favourites is B12 in diabetes. Now, metformin, the clinical evidence shows that metformin depletes B12 levels. Mm. It's well accepted. So why not talk to people at the time and say, through no fault of yours, this medication, this drug will control, help control your blood sugar, but it will deplete your B12 levels. So can I give you some information on sublingual B12? Because I really recommend that you consider taking it. So what's your advice for our early career pharmacists who are working in busy pharmacies and don't have a lot of time to spend with customers to talk about herbs and vitamins? My advice would be every opportunity you get, savour it, make it meaningful, make it engaging, 
and build on everyone to an even better one next time. So you don't have to spend 15 minutes with someone, but you should be able to develop some key questions to people to help the conversation move and then enable you to get enough information to make a decision and make a recommendation, or you might refer them to something. And those instructions, in my view, should be summarised in writing. Last question is, what's your advice for our early career pharmacists, professionally and personally? Be proud, be professional, be humble, and make the patient your sole focus. And that, you'll find, will extend into your personal life as well. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Your Pharmacy Career Podcast, proudly brought to you by Ravens Recruitment, Australia's leading specialist pharmacy recruitment agency. If you enjoyed this episode and know anyone else who you think would benefit from it, we would be grateful if you could share it with them. Together, we help even more pharmacists develop a career and life they love. If you have any questions or suggestions about future podcast episodes, please reach out to us via email info at ravensrecruitment.com.au.